Father, we are surrounded by uh, massive uh, change. It's coming fast and furious. It uh, at times can be disheartening because we see things that we have always counted on here that have been unique to this country. We see them being uh, dismantled on a daily basis, and we think of Psalm 11, I believe it is, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, what the righteous do is we put our eyes on you. And uh, whenever we do that, we are given perspective. We, we thank you that this may be surprising to us and it may be shocking to us. It's not to you. Uh, you, have a, you have a plan. We're going to go over that tonight again. Uh, not only for us as individuals and not only for history, but you have a plan for nations in any and all seasons. You raise them up and you set them down. We, uh, quite frankly, Lord, these are times, in times like these, we battle to keep our hope. And I, I think of Psalm 130 where the psalmist was overwhelmed for, for different reasons, but he was overwhelmed. He was in the depths under tremendous pressure and great darkness. And he made the statement that in your word do I hope. Now that's why we're here tonight. We're, we're here to hear, we are here to hear from you. Not, not news people, not media people, not talk radio people, not bloggers. We are here to hear from the living God. That's why we are here. And we believe your Bible, as Psalm 119 says, the sum of thy word is truth. When you add it all up, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, you add it up, every verse, every letter. Well, the sum of all of that is truth because you're the God who cannot lie. We come tonight with different issues. We come tonight from different circumstances, some good, some not good, some terrible. Some, some guys have, uh, are undoubtedly here that have just received devastating news this week. Others have, have received tremendous news. Now, we, we know what we would prefer, but life is not always the way that we want it to be. Wherever we are, we come to you and you invite us to cast our care upon you because you care for us. You really do. You care and you care deeply for us. Remind us of that tonight, how much you care. Remind us, Lord, of how much you, um, how much you demonstrated your care by sending Christ for what he has done for the way that he has rescued us and redeemed us. And we are so thankful, Lord, that to another generation of uh, your people who were entering difficult times, you said to them, I know the plans I have for you, plans not for calamity, but for your welfare, to give you a future 
and a hope. Um, we need to be reminded of that. You're still in charge. Nations crumble because of unbelief and wickedness, but uh, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope and wait for his loving kindness. We say, Lord, our eyes are on you. We, uh, we trust your promises. We keep our eyes on Christ. You've promised to take care of us daily and to give us what we need. Help us to apply those truths today and tonight. And as we go to sleep tonight, you'll give to us, even when we're sleeping, you give to your beloved all the time. Even in their sleep, you give to your beloved. Because we're in Christ, that's us. We are grateful for the benefits and privileges that will never be taken from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week I began uh, an introduction to Psalm 107, and the reason we want to do Psalm 107 is the, the fact that we're doing this study on the, on the trail of life, the path of life, uh, kind of one of our key verses has been Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the, the path of life. The Bible speaks of the path, it speaks of the trail, it actually doesn't use the word trail but it uses the word way. And um, we're on the path of life. We're at different places on the path. Um, there, there are seasons and chapters of life, and some of us are just getting started. Uh, young men, uh, teenagers, 20s, 30s, all the way through. Um, all the way through, we need every day, we need fresh wisdom from God for the portion of trail that we find ourselves on. Um, Last week, we spent some time on Psalm 50, verse 15, which C.H. Spurgeon called the uh, Robinson Crusoe Psalm. Why would he call it the Robinson Crusoe Psalm? Because in the book, Robinson Crusoe, written by Daniel Defoe, which was a novel, uh, this young rebellious uh, Robinson Crusoe, who was raised in a Christian home with a godly father, did not want to follow the wisdom and advice of his father, wanted to make his own path, was not interested in, in, in the Lord, although he'd been steeped in Christianity, and uh, rebelled and went to sea and uh, had some calamities happen, still didn't pay any attention to the Lord, and was shipwrecked. And uh, while he was shipwrecked on this island, he recalled a verse from his youth, Psalm 50, verse 15. When C.H. Spurgeon preached on it, he called it the Robinson Crusoe Psalm. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 15, I mentioned last week. Psalm 50, verse 15 is a, uh, really, it's, it's <laughs> that verse is an introduction to what's in Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is about trouble. Uh, Psalm 107 is about the trouble that we find ourselves in along the trail of life. We're in trouble before we know the Lord. We find ourselves in trouble 
after he redeems us because the Christian life is not an easy, affluent, pain-free, trouble-free life, although there are some who, um, under the guise of Christianity, uh, put that out there. It's a false gospel. It's, it's not in the Scripture. Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble. Uh, in Job, Job said, man is born to trouble. Uh, when Jesus said, in the world, you'll have tribulation, he also said, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The, the Christian life is a hard life. Uh, the life without Christ is much harder. So, trouble is a part of the Christian life. Now, Psalm 107 uh, is a psalm that reminds us of the providential, timely care that God the Father has for his people in times of trouble. It's about, it's about the trouble we get into. There are levels of trouble, but there are certain aspects of trouble where there seems to be no escape and no way out. We're locked in, we're hemmed in, there's no exit sign. We don't see, we, we, we don't have the means to get out. We don't have the connections to get out. This isn't constant in the Christian life, but it is not unusual in the Christian life. And when you find yourselves in these positions, what you need is you need to be rescued. Psalm 107 is about the rescues of God for his people when they have no other way out. It is about the providential care of Almighty God. And, and what I did last week was I uh, actually uh, quoted the Heidelberg Catechism, which I mentioned the Heidelberg Catechism uh, was done in the 1500s. It was back during the period of the Reformation when Martin Luther stood up uh, and began trumpeting the uh, gospel of grace. Uh, the world was pretty much under Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism is a gospel of works. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest and scholar. Uh, he was under that. He was trying to earn his way to God. He couldn't find peace with God. And then, in the goodness of God, as he was studying the Scripture, he saw that the just shall live by faith, and he realized that the just live by faith in the finished work of Christ. Christ came. He who knew no sin became sin. Jesus took my sin and your sin upon him. He went to the cross. He had lived a sinless life. He was God. He paid the price we couldn't pay. He died in our place. That's what he did. Um, that's all through the Old Testament, by the way. It's just not New Testament. Uh, turn with me to Isaiah 53 real quickly. Uh, I was reading Isaiah 53 the other day, and I was just struck by, uh, by Isaiah and how he talked about that when Christ would come, what he would do... Um, uh, Isaiah 53 is about the suffering servant, Jesus, who will one day come 
remarkable passage uh, predicting the type of death and his, uh, the beating that he would undergo. Uh, three, he was, dis- I'm Isaiah 53, he was despised and forsaken of men. Um, verse 4, surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, smitten of God and afflicted. Watch, watch this, he was pierced through, watch this, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, look at verse 6. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So Jesus died in our place. Um, look at verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. We're guilty. Jesus wasn't guilty, but he took our sin, he took our shame, he took our guilt upon him. Uh, look at 11. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. He bore my sin. He bore my iniquity. Uh, Verse 12, yet he himself bore the sin of many. He knew no sin, but he was the sin bearer on my behalf. Uh, So what did Jesus do on the cross? He rescued us. The greatest trouble we were ever in was uh, the fact that we're sinners. Uh, Our sin nature, sin is within us. The entire human race, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the entire human race, all all humans for all times, were present in the loins of Adam. The whole human race was within Adam. And when sin occurred and the fall hit, it shook everything. It broke everything. And you read Romans 5, and some people say, well, you know, Adam wasn't a real historical figure. Well, the Bible says he was. Uh, Romans 5 talks about the first Adam and Jesus is the second Adam. That sin came in through the first Adam, Jesus is the second Adam that took care of the sin that came in through the first Adam that has infected the entire human race. Now, I hadn't planned on getting into that, but uh, the point of that is that Jesus rescued us from sin. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Rescued from sin. Because we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians 2. It doesn't say we're unconscious in our trespasses and sin. It says we're dead. You know what it means to be dead? It means you have no hope. Dead men don't will to become alive, do they? See, we, we, think, we think, here's what most of us think, because how we've been taught. I'm talking about evangelical Christians. We think Anybody can accept Christ at any moment they just want to. And that's not true. That's just flat out not true. Well, I always thought they could. No, you're wrong. And whoever told you that is wrong. Because people are spiritually dead. And dead people can't will to change their condition. They have to be regenerated. They have to be pulled to Christ. Um, No man can come unless the Father draws him. All that the Father has given me will come. Wow. In other words, for us to come to Christ, Jesus has to do for us what he did for Lazarus. Lazarus was dead as a doornail, but Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. I have a question. How is it that Lazarus, who was dead, heard Jesus? He was dead. Dead men can't hear. So Jesus had to do a work in his heart before Jesus ever called to him, so that in actuality, Jesus made him alive before he spoke to him so that he could hear and respond because he was dead. 
See, when you're dead, I mean, when you're dead, you really need to be rescued. And we were rescued. That's our first rescue. Um, that's the gospel. Okay, now. So, last week, I'm doing the, uh, I, I quoted from the Heidelberg Catechism, which they came up with in order to teach children scriptural truth, uh, even rural pastors to teach them scriptural truth, because all they'd ever heard was the gospel of works uh, and, um, and tradition. So they had to teach them the Bible. So they did it in the question-answer format. And I read questions 27 and 28 about the providence of God. But Richard came up to me afterward, and he said, man, I wish you had done question 26. And he had memorized it as a kid. Uh, and he said, it's so powerful. And I went back and looked it up. It's powerful. And it ties into Psalm 107. So as we, I, you know, guys, I, I'd like to just jump into 107, but we kind of got to get a running start at it. And last week, my running start took 40 minutes. <laughs> I think tonight I can do it in about, I don't know, give me a few more minutes, and I've been running for a while already. But, but we're going we're gonna to run into it, and we're setting it up. So here's question 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism. All that means is the Christians at Heidelberg searched the scriptures. Two young pastors in their 20s put this together. Fascinating. Uh, question 26. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? What do you believe when you say that? Here's the answer. I believe that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is, for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. Now watch this. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. That's biblical. I want to say that one more time. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow, he's able to do so as Almighty God and willing also as a faithful father. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, then look up Genesis 1 and 2, Exodus 20, 11, Job 38 and 39, Psalm 33, verse 6, Isaiah 44, 24, Acts 4, 24, and Acts 14, 15. That's just under footnote 1, and there are six more footnotes and about I don't know, 18 other verses. I mean, this is, this is all scripture. Now, you say, what does that have to do with where we're going tonight? Psalm uh, 107 is about the trouble that we encounter on the trail of life. It's also about the rescues that God performs in order to save us. Christ is a savior. He not only saved us from our sin, but he keeps saving us and rescuing us as we go through the, through the trail of life. The way that God takes us from immaturity to maturity is he takes us through adversity and he takes us through hardship. 
If you just have an easy life, everything is handed to you, you never struggle, you get everything you want when you want it, you've got no maturity, you've got no character. Uh, so what are you? You're, you're pretty much, um, no one wants to be around you. Because you think you're the center of the world, you're a narcissist, uh, you're entitled, you think somebody, you think you are owed things. You're not owed th things, you're just spoiled. You're certainly not mature. You certainly haven't developed character. You see a spoiled kid. Everything's been handed to them. They're going to have some, they're going to have some rough roads in life. Uh, the Lord wants to take us from immaturity to maturity, so what does he do? He takes us through trouble. And he tells us throughout Scripture, you're going to go through trouble. Acts 14, 22, to Christians, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, I didn't hear any amens to that verse. Amen. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish it had said through a few tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. A few here and there, spread out over 80 years. Maybe one, a, maybe one a decade. That's not what it says. It says through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's why you've got many. Uh, tribulations build spiritual muscle. They keep us from being spiritually flabby and immature and uh, undisciplined. They keep us focused. Um, here's what I'm trying to say to you. Um, when... When you understand, this is important, that if you understand, if you expect the trail of your life to be easy, you're going to be disappointed. But if you know up front, see, the more we read the scripture, the more we understand how God deals with us in our lives. There's a place called heaven. This isn't it. Heaven's going to be great. This is hard. But it's sort of like a boot camp in order to prepare us to get us ready. Um, when you encounter trouble and you're a new Christian, you're kind of shocked the first time because a lot of times we'll say to people, oh, you've got difficulty, you've got trouble in your life, da, da, da. come to Christ. And we kind of give the impression that your trouble's over. Actually, you're out of trouble with God because now you've got peace with God through the blood of Christ. But in a sense, now you're just kind of walking into trouble. You're walking into difficulty. Now, it's not that you didn't have difficulty before, but see, now what you're, you're going to walk into is adversity and suffering and hardship. And, and understand this, that is never random, is not by chance. It's under the fatherly hand who wants to mature you. In the Christian life, all adversity and all suffering is purposeful. He doesn't waste this. It's not random. It's just not the, oh, man, I got the bad luck of the draw. No, you got a father who's watching over you. Uh, so as we go into 107, I, I want to I give you some verses to kind of give you a perspective of the trail and the fact that, well, let me just shut up and give you the verses. How about Isaiah 45, 7? As we work our way to 107. These are foundational verses to understand how God works with us on the trail so that when we hit hard times, we're not shocked. Um, Isaiah 45, 7. 
God says, I'm the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. Huh. I'm the Lord who does all these. Now, most evangelical Christians believe we have no problem believing that the Lord is the one who causes well-being. And when anything happens to us that improves our well-being, we say, thank you, Lord. But uh, causing well-being and creating calamity? Well, I'm not sure I'd say that. Well, God just said it about himself. So the things that happen in our lives of a nature that would come under the heading of calamity, God's as much in that as he is in the times of well-being. Uh, flip over, if you would, to uh, Deuteronomy 32, 39. Because, because God is sovereign over all things. Deuteronomy 32, 39. Uh, okay. <laughs> 32, 39. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. Now watch this. It is I who put to death and who give life. I have wounded and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. So healing is from the Lord, but wounds can be from the Lord. Ultimately, uh, circumstances in our lives, things happen to us. Uh, have you ever, have you ever uh, had encounters with evil, evil people? Uh, evil things have come upon you and hurt you and, and, and marred you and scarred you. That evil in your life, God is never the author of evil, never, because of his character. Uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Absolute holiness is absolute moral purity. God, there's certain things God can't do. God can't lie. God can't sin. God cannot be the author of evil because it is absolute moral purity. However, evil is a tool on God's Swiss army knife. He uses evil. He used it in Joseph's life. He will use it in your life. Uh, they sold Joseph into slavery at the age of 17. Is that evil? Yeah, it is. Uh, by the way, that evil, could God have stopped it? Yes. Did he stop it? No. Uh, evil has happened to you. Could God have stopped it? Yes. Did he? He's, no, he didn't. And I really struggle with that, you might be saying. Of course. Why would that be? Later, years and years and years later, Joseph said to his brothers, now that Joseph is not a slave, he's the most powerful man on the face of the earth, quite frankly, because Pharaoh viewed Joseph as a father. Uh, Pharaoh was the most powerful man on the earth, but his relationship to Joseph, Joseph was his dad. Uh, he had tremendous influence on Pharaoh, plus he had an official government position. Uh, God had, you know, brought his brothers in because of the famine, and, you know, he's reunited with his dad and all that. And then his, his father dies in Genesis 50, and now his brothers are all scared to death that Joseph, now the dad's out of the way, he's going to get them. It's payback. And so they said, hey, Joseph, by the way, dad uh, left a letter, and he said basically in the letter, he wants you to be real nice to us after he's gone. That's in Genesis 50. And uh, the Bible says Joseph wept. He felt, because, you know, his brothers never did get it. 
And he, and basically Joseph said, you intended it for evil. But God intended it for what? Good. In order to bring about this present result. To glorify God. And for the good of the people. And to preserve the nation. And it was, if the nation wasn't preserved, by the way, the Messiah who was going to save the world was going to come through that nation. You see, um, our God is the God who brings good out of evil. Our God is the God who brings good out of the worst thing that has ever happened to anybody in this room. Can't tell you when, can't tell you how, but he is the God who brings good out of evil. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God has... That God works all things together for good. It doesn't say all things are good uh, to those who love him. Yeah. But, but see, not, he's not saying all things are good that happen to us because they're not. But what he does is he works them for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What that means is you're going to go through some trouble in your life, but you are never beyond the sovereignty of your Father who will use even the worst to bring good out of it. Um, Job understood this in Job 1. When all those terrible things happen, just one after another, Job tears his clothes and he worships. He says, the Lord gives and Satan takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's not what he said. He said, the Lord gives and who takes away? The Lord takes away. Thomas Watson once said, Whatever the affliction, it's the Lord who sends it. Ultimately, whatever your affliction, God's behind it. He went on in Job 2, because he had now boils from head to toe. Shall we accept, shall we accept prosperity from God and not adversity? We're to accept both. Ecclesiastes 7, consider the work of God. Who can straighten what he has been? In the day of prosperity, be glad. Thank God for well-being and prosperity. But in the day of adversity, consider because God has made the one as well as the other. So when you find yourself in trouble as a believer in Christ, there's a reason for it. There's a purpose behind it, even though you can't see it at the time. Now, I got to keep moving because I want to show you something else. Uh, so in Deuteronomy 32, 39, he makes the statement, I'm the God who puts to death and I also give life. I have wounded and I heal. He does both. Uh, flip over to uh, Exodus 4. Exodus 4 is an interesting passage because it, it says things that most Christians are hesitant to say. Uh, about Years ago, I was at a conference, and uh, I, b between sessions I was talking to a gentleman in the hallway, and we, we had talked a couple times throughout the day, and he told me uh, about his son who, who had a, a handicap and, when, when this baby boy was born and they realized that there is going to be some real challenges for this little baby, they, they were stunned, as you can imagine. And, and they, were, they were in deep, deep grief. Um, and, and we kept running into each other and we'd pick up the conversation. And then he began to tell me, he said, you know, Steve, it's really interesting because of the years have gone by, out of that tremendous grief, this boy 
has been the greatest blessing in our lives. And as he was telling me, he was tearing up. It's not been easy. It's, it's, been, it's, it's been a challenge. It's just been hard. It takes more energy than you can imagine. The guy wasn't whining. He wasn't complaining. He was just very honest. He said, but the mercy of God, the favor of God in giving us this boy, he said, it staggers me. He said, Steve, can I ask you something? He said, do you think God was in this in the way that he was born? I guess what I'm asking, do you think that God planned this? And I gave him the verse in Exodus 4, verse 11. The context is God's calling Moses to go back to Egypt, and he doesn't want to go. You know, the burning bush, he doesn't want to go back and deliver the people. And he's making all these excuses to God. And he says, Lord, listen, I can't intend, I can't go back. I've never been eloquent. Actually, Stephen says that Moses was eloquent. But he'd been in the wilderness for 40 years and lost all of his self-confidence. He said, Lord, I can't speak. I can't even talk. I mean, I'm not the guy. Uh, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now watch this, 11. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him, watch this, or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's quite a statement. And the fact is, everybody is born handicapped. One way or another. We will, everybody's flawed. Not just with sin, we're just flawed. We've all got our challenges and our discrepancies, some more than others. Uh, that's an astonishing statement. And Christians say, oh, well, that's not true about God. He says it's true about him. He forms and fashions in the womb. Now, now, now keep this in mind. Who's made men, man's mouth or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Now go to John chapter 9 as we're on our way to Psalm 107. And there's a reason I'm doing all this. Go to John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, Jesus is going to do a, an amazing miracle um, that's been talked about for centuries. And it says in John chapter 9, as he passed by, watch this, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would have been born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents. Watch this. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's an astonishing statement. Uh, is this not remarkable? You tie that Exodus verse with this. Uh, this man was born blind. As far as he knew, he'd be blind for the rest of his life. But Jesus passed by, and Jesus healed him. And wherever the gospel has gone for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, this man has talked about. Because that never happened before. A man blind from birth, and Jesus healed him. And then he winds up going in front of the uh, Pharisees who were trying to trip up Jesus, and he winds up telling them the truth. And they got so mad at him, they put him out of the synagogue. 
See, it's really interesting because here is a man who was physically blind that Jesus opened his eyes and healed his heart spiritually and he was born again. And then he shows up in front of the intelligentsia who are spiritually blind and he declares truth to them and light to them, but they're in darkness and can't see it. Uh, can I say this though? Uh, God is sovereign over trouble. The trouble that you have in your life on the trail, before you, get, before you find Christ, he's sovereign over your trouble. Uh, he is sovereign in your life with trouble after you come to know Christ, and he is always your savior. So now, with all of that in mind, let's go to Psalm 107. Uh, by the way, Psalm 119.91 makes a statement. It says this, all things are thy servants. All things. If you ponder that, everything in the world is a servant of God. Everything. Um, everything. Every human heart. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. All things are thy servants. Even men who don't know Christ are his servants. He uses them for his glory and for his purposes. Um, um, the rain is his servant. Uh, thunder is his servant. Uh, natural disasters are his servant. Uh, I'm almost to Psalm 107. Amos 3, verse 6. Watch this. Can a calamity come upon a city unless the Lord sends it? You say, man, that's kind of astonishing. Well, here's what would even be more astonishing, is that if a calamity could come on a city and God wasn't in it. That would worry me. But you see, ultimately, God is in charge of everything. Do we always, always understand God's purposes? No. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. God is sovereign over trouble. Trouble on the trail. Trouble that we find ourselves in. So with that in mind, finally, I think we're at Psalm 107. Now, with that perspective, and, and that's really an important perspective to have because when you're in trouble... Deep trouble. There are levels of trouble. But there are certain kinds of trouble that, quite frankly, you think you'll never get out of and you'll think you'll never escape from. Um, you, some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. But Christ is the Savior. Christ is the Rescuer. When it says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that on, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that any man should boast. It's talking about Christ being our Savior. We trust in Jesus alone. He, he died in our place on the cross. He saved us from our sin. But when, and I've said this before in here, um, for by grace you have been saved. The way that's constructed in, in the Greek, it's a participle, and participles have, they're there for a reason, and Greek is very exact. The idea is, for by grace you have been saved with continuing results. What that means is, is that he not only saves us from sin, but as we walk the trail of life, he's still saving. He's still saving when we hit trouble. He is still there. He's still our sovereign savior. He's still our sovereign rescuer. He's still our sovereign defender. He is still my sovereign protector. So in Psalm 107, you've got the rescues of God on behalf of his people who are in trouble. Uh, verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. That's significant because when we hit deep trouble, 
devastating trouble, we immediately begin to question if God is good. But God is good. Psalm 119, 68, the Lord is good and does good. Even in the bad things, even in the most devastating things that break my heart, in due time I will see the goodness of God. This is the perspective. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Watch this. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Uh, the ESV says uh, his steadfast love is everlasting. Steadfast. It never varies. It never changes. Romans 8. What can separate us from the love of God? The answer is nothing. And you've got a whole list of things that we think can separate us from the love of God, and none of those things can separate you from the love of God. Because early in Romans 8, it says you've been adopted into his family through the blood of Christ legally, and that can't change. Because in Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You're in. You're in. You ever get upset with your kids? They ever just drive you nuts? Yes. Don't look sanctimonious there for me, please. Like you don't know, what's he talking about? No, I... Sure. Sure. You ever just had it with your kids? I mean, they're a little four-year-old, five-year-old. You just, you just pack them up, take them down to the orphanage, drop them off. Drive off. No. No. No, it doesn't work that way. There's some folks that actually have done that. God would not do that, ever, because of his steadfast love. And we're going to see all the way through this psalm, he rescues us because of his steadfast love, because of his loving kindness. Uh, uh, verse 2, let the redeemed, this is, this is getting in, this is kind of the, the opening salvo of, Romans, uh, of uh, Psalm 107, and then he's going to give us four different groups and four different type, types of trouble. And we're going to go through this pretty quickly. Uh, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The redeemed of the Lord. Yeah, the redeemed of the Lord, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. It, it, sometimes, maybe, uh, if I'm on the road and I, I'm doing a conference and I come home, I just can't get in bed. i got to just, i got to wind down. And sometimes I start watching. they they got shows on TV they never used to have. They're just fascinating. And they make shows out of them and people watch them. Like they got guys driving around in vans looking for a, a junk in barns. And uh, I'm telling you, if there's 100 rooms in a hotel, 90% of the people are watching that show. Uh, I mean, I'll watch it. Uh, they got another one about uh, guys who run pawn shops. And, and, you know, you got guys bringing in tubas from high school, and they want to pawn it, and they, they're going back and forth. And people watch this stuff. I watch it. I mean, I don't have much of a life when I'm on the road. <laughs> But you watch this stuff, and you know what's interesting, though, when they do those pawnbroker sh uh, uh, shows? They only show one side of the business. And the, and the side they show is they only show guys bringing in their tubas because they need money. But they never show the guy coming in to redeem his tuba. But that's the other side of the equation. You see, you put something in hawk, because you need money. They give you the money. And then when things turn around, you got the cash, you go back in and you redeem it. You pay for it. Those of us who follow Jesus, we're redeemed people. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. 
He has redeemed us from sin. He paid for it with his own blood. Um, whom he's redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. The context of this, I'll just say this real briefly. They're coming back from 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And they've been spread out. Most of them went to Babylon, but some stragglers went different areas. And what the Lord's doing is he is bringing them back and he is redeeming them and he is rescuing them and taking them back to their homeland to Jerusalem, and it's going to be rebuilt. Okay, so that's the context of the trouble. But it just doesn't apply to those who are coming back from the Babylonian captivity. It applies to all of God's people in all times who find themselves in different kinds of trouble. He's going to give us four groups that find that, that are in different kinds of trouble. If we, if we broke up in the small groups and guys got real honest, real quick, every, let's say you have five guys, let's say you have four guys in your group, all four guys in your group have trouble, undoubtedly it's different kinds of trouble. But what's in common is, is that without God's help, you're not going to make it. For some, it's a physical issue. For some, relational. For some, perhaps an addiction issue. For some, it's this, or pornography, or this, or this, or this, or a marriage, or this. But everybody's got trouble, because man is born to trouble. He's going to give us four illustrations of, of, of uh, these folks in trouble. Uh, by the way, here's what we're going to see in here. We're going to see cause and effect. Can I say this to you? The reason I went into all this stuff introducing that God is sovereign over all things, good and bad. I am the God who gives life. I am the God who kills. I am the God who heals. I am the God who wounds. God is sovereign over all of it. Once again, he's never the author of evil, but he uses it. He used Satan to plague Job but Satan could not go beyond the parameters that God had set. Okay, now, what we're going to see is that God, who is sovereign over trouble and trials, God uses trouble for a reason. You're going to see in four different ways he uses four different kinds of trouble as a cause, watch this, in order to bring about a desired effect. Now watch this. The first group begin with verse 4. These are the lost wanderers. Okay? They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. Listen, a lot of been, movies have been made about somebody lost in the desert who couldn't find an inhabited city. You don't want to be lost in a desert because if you get lost in a desert and, and, and see, you're wandering. There's no path. There's no trail. You want to find a, 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 some kind of village where you've got food, water. You've got protection from the elements. But when you're out in the desert, you're just wandering. And see, here's, here's the point spiritually. Before we come to know Christ, we're all wandering. We're all lost. Isaiah, by the way, in that Isaiah 53 passage, all of us, like sheep, have gone what? Astray. 
out wandering, unsure. We were lost. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Okay. Now watch this. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city, so they're in trouble. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. That's exhaustion. Is it not? All right, now, by the way, let me just comment here real quick. They wandered in the wilderness. They didn't know the way. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. You know what Jesus said in John 14, 6? He said, I am the way. We all wander before we come to know Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those who wander and are lost spiritually, there is one way to resolution and one way to peace with God. Our culture says, there are many ways, there are many paths. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Uh, the next thing, not only are they lost and not only they're wandering, then he can't find their way. They were hungry and thirsty. Well, in John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Oh, and then the next one, uh, their soul fainted within them. Uh, the idea is their soul fainted within in them due to exhaustion. When you're in the desert, you don't have water, you don't have food. You're absolutely, totally exhausted. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28 Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. You see, the solution and the only solution to men's spiritual problems, there's only one solution, and it's Christ. That's it. Now, notice what happens because they're in trouble in 4, 5, and 6. Look at what happens in 4 and 5. Now watch this. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distress, or he rescued them out of their distress. What I want you to see is that the cause, uh, they were in trouble, uh, they were wandering, they were hungry, they are thirsty. See, that was the cause. The trouble caused something. What was the effect of their being in trouble with no way out? Well, the trouble was the cause which kicked in the effect because they were in such trouble, then they cried out to the Lord. Isn't it amazing in our lives how we don't get serious with the Lord until we're in desperate trouble? It's just the way we are. The effect is, because of the desert, they were wandering, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a, watch this, straight way, straight path, to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his Loving kindness or his steadfast love. Okay, now let's move on to the next group. Verse 10. There are those who dwell in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. So now the group that you've got here, there's another group in trouble. And this group are the confined prisoners. Um, they're in tight, narrow circumstances. They've lost all freedom. All liberty. Uh, prisoners... Uh, there are exceptions, but basically, prisoners are in prison because they're guilty. That's the point that's being made here. Um, now, are they wandering in the desert? No, they're prisoners in a whole different set of circumstances. But they're in as much trouble as the guy wandering in the desert, just different circumstances. Now, I want you to, I want you to notice something here. It, it, it says, there were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, 
prisoners in misery and chains because they had rebelled. See, they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. I mean, these guys are in trouble. They're in trouble. All right, now watch how God uses, watch how God uses trouble, a different kind of trouble. Watch the effect of verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of all their distresses. He rescued them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. Two different groups in two different kinds of trouble, but God in both cases used the trouble to hem them in and cause them to be so desperate they finally had nowhere to turn except to God. Do you see how God uses trouble to bring about an effect that saves us? See, I'm saying God's sovereign over your trouble. That's what I'm saying. That's what this is saying. But we tend not to look at it this way. There's another group. Verse 17. Uh, These, this is an interesting group. Uh, Can I say something else about prison? There are different kinds of prisoners. There are different kinds of prisons. There, there are literal prisons. There are prisons of circumstances. And, and let me also say this. Not everyone in prison is guilty. Now, these guys are because it says in uh, 11, they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. But if you flip back to Psalm 105, am I boring you guys yet? If you flip back to Psalm 105, You read about Joseph in verse 17 of 105. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of Lord tested him. Speaking of Joseph being put in prison and Joseph was innocent. Sometimes innocent men are in prison. I do a Bible study at noon, teach the same material, group of business guys down in, off Beltline. I've done it as long as I've done this study, actually longer. A couple weeks ago, there were three guys, and, you know, guys come in and out of the state. I, I know a few guys, a lot of guys I don't know. They've been coming for years, I, and I don't know their story. A couple weeks ago, three guys came up to me and said, Steve, we, could we get 30 minutes with you after the study? Sometime, we had a story we think you'd be interested to hear. And I said, sure. So we did that today. Just by chance, we did it today. There is no chance. I sit down with them, and um, they said, well, you know, it's kind of interesting because, and this one guy started, he said, we all work together in the same firm. We know the Lord and, you know, in business together. And uh, some things happened, and we suddenly find ourselves uh, under investigation and uh, with some pretty serious charges. And the thing is, we honestly didn't do this, but someone said that we had done it, and suddenly we have a prosecutor coming in, and uh, it was a pretty intense time in our lives, and um, of course, we never told you this, 
but we would come to this Bible study, and just as we had to make some major decisions, and the decision was, how long do we fight this? And they're throwing um, uh, charges at us. The two guys said, we could be in prison for the rest of our lives, and the other guy would be in prison for 15 to 20 years, and he's probably 65. But we were offered lesser charges. We would go in, two of us would go in for a year if we pled guilty, and uh, one of us would be in for six months. And the reason we wanted to tell you this story, just as we were making that decision, in fact, we'd made it, and we're going to go into prison for something that we honestly didn't do, um, you were teaching, and then you went off on a rabbit trail, as you often do. <laughs> and you referred to Psalm 15, and you said, I'm out of time, but I'm going to go five more minutes. I may go ten more minutes, because I feel that I need to say something out of Psalm 15. I don't even remember this. But you said you felt like you needed to say something, because there could be someone in here facing a situation, you might even be facing jail time. I said, I said that? And you said that. I said, okay, I don't remember it. But we're facing jail time. Um, um, and the one guy said, I don't, even, I don't even remember what you said. All I know is that you said you might be facing jail time, and there were three of us sitting right in front of you who were facing jail time, and you didn't even know it. And by the way, what you had said out of Psalm 15, two other people had said in the previous 24 hours out of Psalm 15. Uh, he said, Steve, we sit here today, we're convicted felons. And uh, we've served our time, and we're, we're back. And we're trying to figure out what the Lord's going to do through this. It was pretty wild. And then I said, I'm trying to remember why I would have said that um, you might even be facing jail time. The only thing I can remember is that there used to be a guy that came to this study who was in a very similar situation and was, and was just married and had a new little son and had the same kind of thing happen to him. And he was charged and he was looking at 20, 25 years and he just had a brand new baby boy he wouldn't see till he was 25 years old. And he took the deal and served a year and a half. And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we know him. I said, you know him? Yeah, because, yeah, we knew his story. We went over and talked with him. He ministered to us and got us ready for what we were going to face. I said, really? There's actually two other guys. He goes, yeah, we know them. Same thing, that work with him. Yeah, same thing. He goes, yeah, I served time with him. That's six guys. And then I never mentioned Bill Kennedy who was in for 17 years and who has a ministry now that he never asked for or thought he'd ever have. What I'm saying is Christian men who had done the right thing, who entered into trouble that we can't even imagine, and they're not bitter. But they're counting on the fact that the God who sovereignly oversaw the events of all of Joseph's life is the same God who will oversee all the events of their life and will bring good out of the bad, even though they're still wondering when that will come. 
but they're trusting in the sovereign God who rescues, you see. Real, real fast. In, in 17, you've got a group of fools. There's just no other way to put it. Fools because of their rebellious ways and because of their iniquity, iniquities were afflicted. These, these are fools who are actually afflicted and they are sick. But here's what's interesting. They are afflicted and sick because their afflictions are self-inflicted because of their foolishness. Now, this is where we all were before we came to Christ. You see, we, we have all been fools. We have all done foolish things. We have known the truth. We've gone against the truth. Uh, verse 18, their soul abhorred, abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. So here's a group that are in circumstances because of their own foolishness and poor choices and they're in trouble. They're not in the desert. They're not in prison. They're just foolish men making foolish decisions in trouble because of their self-inflicted wounds. Oh, 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 and what do they do? Verse 19, uh, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. So 7 and 18, the cause of their trouble is their own foolish afflictions they brought on themselves. But the cause in the sovereignty of God leads to an effect which causes them to do the same thing the other two groups did. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them. He rescued them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his steadfast love. It doesn't matter what kind of trouble you are in, whether it's come upon you or you brought it on yourself. God uses trouble to make us call upon him so that we can be rescued and saved. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you. You will honor me. That's what this is all about. And there's a fourth group. They got a whole different set of circumstances. It's in 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they've seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose. I'd like to read this this way. They rose up to the heavens, and then they went down to the depths. That's a storm. You ever been on the sea and a storm has come up? I was doing the Focus on the Family Caribbean cruise in 2004, and Dr. Dobson and several of us were speaking, doing different sessions. And on this ship, they had this amphitheater. It would seat about four or 500 people, really nice, you know, kind of a horseshoe thing. And, and I'm up there teaching, and they said a storm was coming in, and during the music, all of a sudden, it gets choppy. And all of a sudden, by the time I get up there, here's my position as I'm teaching. I'm like this. And I'm teaching like this. I'm teaching. And then we drop. And then up. And I'm watching this whole amphitheater go with me. And it was a minor storm. There are storms of life. You know what storms on sea do? It makes you realize how small you are. They make you realize how helpless you are. Watch this. Uh, by the way, why was there a storm? 25. He spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man. They were at their wits' end. Storms, I mean, in, in those little boats back then. At their wits' 
end. That's a whole different kind of trouble. Well, there was no escape. There was no hope. So what did they do? See, the cause of their trouble was the storm. But look at 28. Oh, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of their distresses. He rescued them. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. What an understatement. He guided them to their desired heaven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, for his steadfast love. God has taken you through storms you thought you'd never get through. So I close with this. Jesus had had a remarkable day of ministry. The disciples were with him. He was utterly exhausted in Luke 8. He gets into the boat. He falls asleep. They get on the Sea of Galilee. Now, Peter had been on that, that, that massive lake so many times. I mean, he was born and raised on it. Storms are common. Because uh, if you ever go to Israel, you can just see how storms work. The topography. Because the winds come from the uh, east. They come from Iraq. They come swirling down, drop down the Golan Heights, hit that water. The Mediterranean is only seven miles away. The wind's coming in, and Pete Delkus or Troy Dungan or somebody could explain it to you. But storms are common. They're common. No big deal in the Sea of Galilee to get chopped. That's nothing. Big-time storms, are, this was a storm like they'd never seen, and, and, and they thought the boat was going to break. They'd never seen waves. They thought the boat was going to break up, and these guys began to panic in this storm that they were in, and they felt helpless and they felt small, and Jesus is asleep. Have you ever been in a storm and it seemed like God was asleep? And you need help, and you need to be delivered, and you need to be rescued, but you're not getting anything. And in their panic, in their panic, they woke Jesus up in their absolute panic. See, when you're panicking, you're not thinking. And they said, Lord, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Now, what's the answer to that? If they were saying, well, he cares. He cares for them. But see, they're freaked out. They're not thinking, well, don't you care? Don't you understand what's going on? Don't you care that we are perishing? They're just absolutely uh, drunk with fear. Jesus gets up. He speaks to the storm. It's instantaneously calm and quiet and still. Now, who are they afraid of? They're afraid of him. Who is this that even the winds and the sea obeys? Oh, well, it's God. In his sermon on Luke 8, Martin Lloyd-Jones offers a definition of faith that is hands down the best definition of faith I've ever heard in my life. I read it during the biggest storm of my life up to that point when I was 32 years old. And Lloyd-Jones said, in so many cases of the Christian life, faith is a refusal to panic. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. No, but, but, but you don't understand. I'm in trouble. I'm in, I'm in this kind of trouble. I'm, I'm in trouble over here. I'm in trouble over here. He's sovereign over your trouble. Absolutely, he's sovereign over your trouble. There's a, but, but Steve, people have, they, they, but people have brought trouble to me. He's sovereign over those people. Those people are culpable for their decisions, but God uses, God uses human actions that are against you. And don't ever forget, he controls all things 
They have their wills. They make their choices. But they cannot thwart the plan of God for your life. God will use persecution. They're tearing down your reputation. He'll use it. It doesn't matter what kind of trouble you're in. See, this is trouble. There's no escape. There's no way out of this. I don't see any solution. Faith is a refusal to what? Refusal to panic. It's a refusal. It's a refusal because my God is sovereign over every event that occurs in my life. Were you raised in church? Did you, were you raised singing that great hymn of the faith, Jesus, I am panicking, panicking? <laughs> no, you don't know that song, but you may know the song, Jesus, I am resting, resting. In the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. I don't know where you are, and I don't know what kind of trouble you're in, but he is sovereign. And if you'll call out to him, well, it's just Psalm 50, 15. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you, and you will honor me. That's Psalm 107. That's the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, you don't always take away our trouble immediately because sometimes there are lessons to be learned in trouble. Joseph wasn't in prison just overnight. He was in there for months and months. You don't always remove the trouble immediately, but in your way and in your time, You remove it after significant lessons that we need to learn have been learned. And you deliver and you rescue. Uh, Our times are in your hand. Times of trouble and times of deliverance. So, for all of us, we thank you that you are the great Savior and the great Rescuer. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And because you are the great rescuer, wherever we find ourselves right now, we don't have to panic because you still rescue and you still save. How grateful we are for that truth, so we give thanks to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.